The last time our family was together with Dad on a week ago, yesterday, Saturday, we sang Does Jesus Care around his bedside. And uh, he had commented a few days later when one of my sons was leaving him, he said, remember, Jesus cares. And uh, just his heart of identifying with us as we sought to comfort him was just amazing. Uh, and uh, the sweet times that we had over the last few months. Um, as you know, Dad, you know, Dad had get up and go in him from birth, I think. And uh, so he was always going somewhere. He'd make plans to visit us for three days, and we all knew he'd be leaving after two. If it was two days, he'd be leaving after one. Um, so that's just, that was just his style. Um, so God really had to knock him down, to slow him down. <laughs> and we had some sweet times together as we were uh, caring for him uh, in these days here. I, wa I want to show you a picture, here we go, of, uh, of just our times here. I think that'll be coming up there. Um, and just a few testimonies. Thank you for this opportunity to just share uh, about our father and to kind of uh, uh, you all had him in your hearts as well. This is dad on his 80th birthday, just uh, then just coming up on uh, three years ago. And, and it's great to see him sitting there healthy and strong, isn't it? Uh, at least for us there, my sister and I and my other brother Tim with him. Uh, but then he began to um, battle and uh, just this spring here if any of you got to see him you could see that cancer was just taking over one of his last efforts was to get to my three of my children as they graduated two from seminary one from Bible College uh, just this last May dad made it up uh, to uh, drove up to Wisconsin to be there and that was a sweet time uh, then he came back down here and then he moved and transitioned to uh, be up with us in his final days up in Wisconsin with his trailer um, at my sister's, and we were able to bring him over to see uh, to his two granddaughters, uh, one very newly born, uh, both with us here today, Mark Jr. and Ariel's uh, children. And that was really one of uh, a sweet time. What his spirit came alive uh, as uh, just the stamina, his cancer just sucked all strength out of him. And that was a sweet moment. And then this, was, uh, this would have been last Saturday, right when we sang Does Jesus Care? Um, and Dad's just his absolute um, loss of strength. Uh, it was uh, almost uh, mystifying to him. He had absolutely nothing. He said, the preach has all gone out of me. And I said, Dad, no, the preach hasn't all gone out of you. You just have no strength. Just mental, social, physical stamina was zero. And uh, he was not used to that feeling at all. Um, but uh, on Father's Day, we were gathered, uh, went on early just to be with him. Mornings were his best time of day uh, because by midday afternoon, he was just zapped. Um, and we gathered early on that morning and had a really precious time. And he pointed up to this plaque that was on the wall in the bedroom of his trailer. And uh, this is something that he had made and it had meaning back when he uh, was stepping out into full-time evangelism in 1974. Um, and it was a big step of faith. He had no support. He had no trailer, no truck, nothing. Uh, and God supplied. It's quite a story. Uh, but he was touched. 
with that statement from D.L. Moody, the world is yet to see what one family completely dedicated to the Lord can do. And that was his heart for his own family. Uh, and then he also kind of said, Mark, that's what I believe God can do in your family uh, as well. Uh, very sweet. And there was a verse that was on the bottom of that plaque. And that day he shared something about that verse. And I asked my wife to come, if you would, and uh, just share Isaiah 55, just how God had put that in her heart and how it matched with what God had done in my father's. husband and I were in Cameroon, and I was reading in Isaiah 55, and the Lord just touched my heart with this verse, 55 verse 12, for ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And it's just like the Lord just said, that verse is for you and your family. As we had been praying for the Go Mission, just the mission that God's laid in our heart to go around the world, but specifically we've been praying about the possibility of the Lord leading our whole family for a short time uh, to Papua New Guinea. And it just, and we've been praying for some time, really wanting only the Lord's leading us and following his leadership and I felt the Lord just, this verse just came alive, a word from the Lord for us. And the Lord's just been using this verse since that time in my own heart. So when we were standing there on Father's Day, and Dad says, hey, pull that plaque down. And we read that same verse, Isaiah 55, 12. It was like another confirmation from the Lord as we've been on this journey of faith of the Lord's leadership and how he speaks his word to our heart. And I just, my husband and I looked at each other and I just, my heart was just filled with joy, but tears just to see God's hand. He leads us through his word as we just look to him. And just to have that encouragement from Dad Gilmore, and he's been such an encouragement to us on our journey of faith. And so what a blessing it is to see God confirm our hearts with his word. Amen. Thank you. Uh, it was in the uh, it was two summers ago that I got my first opportunity to be with dad where he grew up Spokane, Washington and uh, We toured the sites and that's where dad's Spiritual journey began. He got saved at 16 years of age in a citywide gospel meeting in Spokane, Washington um, And from there God directed his steps and aren't you glad that the gospel reached you? Yep Someone brought the gospel to you, and it started my salvation. I made a choice to receive Christ when I was five years old, but the pathway of the gospel reaching me started when my dad said yes at 16. And the night before, my grandmother had said yes at 40 years of age. Aren't you glad for that heritage that comes down when someone says yes? It's a big deal. And when you influence someone to come and hear the gospel and they say, yes, you start a new heritage. You start a new history. And that's what happened in my dad's life and into my life. I've asked Mark to come and just give a quick uh, testimony. And then my daughter, Joanna, just about gramps, we call them. Father's life 
in many ways to me represents a whole new heritage, a whole new history, family history, if you will, with the gospel there, starting when he was 16 years old. And uh, one thing that really stands out to me in his life is his simple walk of faith. And as the older I get and just think through the different choices he's made and have better understanding of what that would be like through different stages of life, it just hits me how much he chose to trust God when there was maybe not a human way possible and it is to move forward. And it's amazing how God uses trials for good because when the Lord took my grandmother home in 2016, Elaine Gilmore, many of you knew, knew her as well, uh, since that time, with Gramps being the only grandparent alive that I've had, I've gotten a lot closer to him and I've also just moving through stages of life, getting married and having kids. And it's just been amazing to see his support, friendship, uh, counsel, and in all those stages and encouragement. But I, one of the greatest privileges when I, in 2017, I got to go with him on a trip and actually preach with him. I don't know how many guys get to preach with their grandfather, but that was a pretty, pretty amazing trip. And we had a great time together. And it was one thing that stood out to me was here he was on the other side of the loss of his dear wife. And they were married almost 50 years, so obviously I can't imagine how close they were. And just to see how he was able to trust the Lord in that great trial and how his faith actually had grown and deepened. And I was old enough where I could actually see some of that and hear it and see it displayed in his preaching in this a deeper a deeper, just intimate faith and walk with God that he had even through that great trial. I can't even imagine how it was. But that really stood out to me. And right near the end, actually, uh, one of the last gifts I had of time with him, I had, we were talking about when he met with me right around the time I got married, and he had given me some advice, a few things to remember as I got married. But one of them I had forgotten. And uh, thinking back on it, it might have been the most important thing he told me. But I couldn't remember what it was. And even knowing that he was nearing death, you kind of have those feelings like, oh no, I'm going to lose something that he gave to me that was valuable, but it was neat. The Lord gave it back because he clearly remembered our conversation around the time of my wedding and he walked through every point he had told me. And the last one was stay in the word. And that's the one I had forgotten. So that was my gift, stay in the word. But it just, it just struck me too. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the one main reason why he was a man of simple faith is because he stayed in the Word, and he let the Word be part of his life. And you go, we're, we're seeing their house here for the last times, and the Word is all over that house, and that exemplifies their life. They stayed in the Word, and because of that, they had faith, strong faith, to take the steps God was calling them. Around a week before my grandpa passed, my sister and I were reading some verses to him just to have a special time together and to encourage him before he went to be with the Lord. And I was reading um, in Psalm 16, and a couple verses stood out to me, and it just seemed to encapsulate his life. Verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. And I think of my grandpa as always keeping the Lord before him, keeping him first in his life. And my grandpa loved to have fun. He loved to have fun times with us and play games and loved to laugh. But through all of that, he kept the Lord first in his life. And then the end of that verse says, I shall not be moved. And um, I think of my grandpa towards the latter half of his life when he didn't have my Grammy with him. He wasn't moved from what God had called him to. He stayed true to what um, God wanted him to do. And he kept serving and traveling around and ministering to many people. And 
um, that's just a challenge to me that he didn't move. Even when he could have given up, it would have made sense for him to give up and, and to stop. But he wasn't moved from what God had called him to. And then verse 11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And that verse just made me think of what he was going to and where he is now in the presence of his Savior. And just experiencing that deep, satisfying joy. And that's what gives us joy as well, to know that that's where he is. So I'm thankful to have a grandpa who kept the Lord first in his life. And we will look forward to seeing him soon.
why I would be surrendered to go to Papua New Guinea with my family. And that's a, kind of a deep question for me. I guess the way I would answer that would be another question, and that would be, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I go? And I really have no words for that. It's kind of obvious when you look at life and what is most valuable. So I guess I, the way I'm going to respond to that is not my own words, but a poem. Uh, recently, my bro brother quoted it. It's Only One Life by C.T. Studd. And I'll try not to cry, <laughs> but um, it might make me cry. It might make you, you, you cry. So if you do cry, that's okay, because God might be working in your heart, and that's a special thing. I always enjoy that. Two little lines I heard one day. Traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep faithful and true. Whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, twill soon be past. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world, now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone giving thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I'll know I'll say to what's worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. God's touching our heart right now. A surrender needs to be made. A direction shifted. What are you doing with the life, the short life that's in your care? Lord, 
You know where each one of us is this morning and the opportunity to reflect on a life well lived and to consider the purpose for the life you and I that we still have yet to live. I pray, Lord, as we consider your word here this morning, that you would clear away the fog of a world around us and of self within us, and you'd clarify to each one of us what your purpose is for our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the testimonies that we share, the life we know, the life we've known. We pray you be glorified in our hearts at this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking a little bit about Papua New Guinea. It's a beautiful place. And God has opened up a door to go there. I'm not going to... I had played this video uh, in the Sunday School Hour. I'm just going to skip that for our time at this point. But just talking about the land that is in... Uh, and if you want to see that, I think you catch that online in the, on the replay of the Sunday School Hour. Maybe it'd be available there. So the video will be, your, you can catch that. But God's done some special things in Papua New Guinea. I've gathered in gatherings like these and this with men that have been the fruit of great missionary labor out of the last 30, 40, 50 years. And my burden, this is a church that is on mission. Um, here's a family, as I preached, came up to me and said, you preached my message. Uh, the man who's standing next to me, his son is next to him and his wife. And he said, you preached my message today. And he said, just a few weeks ago, we were in my home village. I knelt at the center of town, prayed for God's presence, preached the gospel, and I planted a church in my own home village. He said, you, your message, I'm living that. Um, what can God do? What has God done among the Papua New Guineans? I do want you to catch this, this little testimony coming from a man. I don't know him. He's high up in some Papua New Guinean mountain. Um, and someone stepped up to him and asked him this. What does Jesus mean to you? And uh, let's get, there's going to be uh, audio. I want you to just hear this man's testimony. One of the most beautiful testimonies I've ever heard. Um, and we'll play this here. Mm-hmm. 
Regardez pour préparer. Pour des lois. Et il va plus ou pas. C'est vrai. Et il va plus ou pas. Et il va plus ou pas. old Papua New Guinea believer. That's about all the sermon you need for a Sunday. He got it. Someone brought the gospel to him and he got it. Couldn't explain it any better. Turn with me towards John chapter 20 while you're turning there. Again, just the unique open door that's in Papua New Guinea right now. In Papua New Guinea, the government has actually authorized the distribution, maybe some of you have heard of this, of a Bible to every young person in every school, every primary, secondary, university across the country. Um, in fact, in their parliament, if you'll notice, actually depicted, this is their parliament, this is their room of deliberations. In the center of it right here is a glass case blown up right here. What's inside that glass case? One of the earliest extant copies of the King James Version at the center of their deliberation chamber. Uh, I think uh, they're more Christian than we are. Um, and, uh, and they recognize the word of God is primary to what has changed their country, um, even though not all are true believers. Here is a distribution of these Bibles um, by literally the hundreds, close to thousands, that are going across that island. If the Bibles are being distributed freely, shouldn't, be the shouldn't the churches be planted freely? Shouldn't we be preaching the gospel? Shouldn't we be building on this incredible open door? And that's what we're going there to, to do. We're not really the key ones, but we're there to encourage these men of God with his vision, like Brother Callistus, who was in the video uh, that we showed earlier. Uh, just a beautiful place, uh, but we're going to be going as a family, leaving on uh, this uh, Christmas Day, December 25th, 2023. And we'll be for the next six months in Papua New Guinea. I'm, my son and my oldest and his wife will be uh, coming, or at least my son will be coming later with the team in June. But the rest of us are going to be going over and living uh, six months on the island and then also going um, up the Sepik River on the Gospel Survey for several weeks. In the middle of it, we have to fly out to Australia and back. 
um, because of uh, the visa length limitation. Um, so that's a little extra hiccup in there, but we trust the Lord's uh, will uh, will lead in that. Uh, but uh, and so the Lord's good. Uh, the BCM trip in the summer will be a youth camp and uh, further shore-to-shore -shore evangelism. Um, so um, let's go ahead here, and uh, we might I might play something on that screen at the end of it. But let's go ahead and look at John chapter 20 here in the Word of God. In, uh, in the last few minutes here that we have this morning. John chapter 20, and uh, I think this water's for me, right? As long as it's filtered. No, that's Papua New Guinea. <clears throat> All right, John 20, look at verse 19, beginning John 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the disciples were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Verse 23, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in the hand, his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Uh, by the way, don't miss the meetings of the disciples. You might miss Jesus showing up. Um, and after eight days, Thomas is there. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Can we quote that together? Let's quote that phrase. Ready? Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and hold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, yet have believed. This is a very instructive moment. The disciples are assembled in an upper room for fear of the Jews. Um, and they, they thought they just got Jesus, our leader. Surely they're coming for us. Um, and they're very perplexed and they're in fear. Do you know what Satan's greatest weapon is? It's fear. Satan's number one weapons, you might say, one is deception. But tied right alongside that is the weapon of fear. In fact, Hebrews says that Satan uses the fear of death to hold people in bondage for a lifetime. We're going to Papua New Guinea. Do you know the number one stronghold among the unreached masses? The number one stronghold is fear. They do. They repeat the rituals. They do everything they do. They're animistic. There's shelves of, 
of idols and so forth, do you know what drives them into that? Fear. Fear of death. Well, if we don't do these things, Satan will kill one of us. If we don't do one of these things, this is going to happen. And fear controls their lives. Sad to say, Satan does not just use his weapon of fear on a lost world. He uses it on believers. We look at a world around us and we have a world that is increasing in its stronghold of fear. You just poll the average person in America, you just look at the percentages, and the fear meter is rising in our country. Fear for one reason or another, and all those reasons are there. And I want to tell you, if they creep into the life of believers, Satan is going to take control of his church. To the degree that you've allowed the things Satan's doing in the world and the things that are happening around you to become fear factors in the way you think and the decisions you make and the way you live, to that degree, Satan is taking over your life. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear. That spirit is not coming from your heavenly Father. That spirit is coming from Satan, and Satan is taking control of his church. Well, he was in control of these believers assembled there for fear of the Jews. And when Jesus approaches, I love what his statement is at the end of verse 19. He walks into the midst and he says unto them, Peace be unto you. Do you know that the Lord understands every fear factor that's around you and he doesn't come at you and he doesn't just come and berate you. He actually wants to come into you and comfort you and say, I've got something else for you. I have peace. And it's echoed three times in this passage. Peace be unto you. He actually cares. I don't know what might be in your life. That's a fear factor, whether it's the death, oncoming death of a loved one, or if it is some economic situation that you're in, or some personal health crisis. I don't care what it is that is that fear factor. Jesus cares. And he walks, wants to walk up to you and not put you on the crosshairs of his, you know, of, of, of his interrogation. He wants to walk up to you and say, I understand all that. I've got this. Peace be unto you. And so he walks up to the disciples, and it says here, and when he so said, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples all of a sudden were filled with joy when they, what? Saw the Lord. I am here, church, I want to tell you in our brief few minutes three reasons why you can know peace. And here's the first and foremost, and that is this. You can know peace because Jesus is alive and well. Amen. They hadn't crucified Jesus and he hadn't stayed in that tomb. He was alive and well. And you know, whenever you and I get a glimpse of Jesus, we're at peace. Have you seen his hand in your life this week? I have. I've seen his hand guiding different things, even being here this morning. Jesus is alive and well, amen? And he is at work. In Colossians, we have this, uh, this statement. You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together and having forgiven you and with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, 
which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. I want to say the only reason for fear is sin and death. The, the moment fear entered into the world was that moment when those, at, those two in the garden had disobeyed God and God shows up and for the first time they experienced the emotion of fear. It hadn't been part of their experience and wasn't supposed to be. And now they're afraid of God. The one who was to be their friend, now they are afraid of. But I want to tell you that when Jesus came into this world, he took the record of all of our sin and the consequence and judgment and he bore it on the cross and he nailed it to the cross. And the Bible says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And when you come to Jesus, you see what happened is this. Every one of us is headed for an eternal death and judgment for our sin. The power of sin demands that. The strength of, the sin, of sin, which is the law, demands that judgment. And it's coming. It's in your future. It's appointed unto man once to die. It's coming. And after that, judgment. There's coming an assessment of your life and the sin. You've fallen short of God's standard. And you're going to be held accountable one day for that. And if the sin is there, the judgment is death. But the moment you come to Jesus, God does a miracle and he takes that death that would have been your future and he transfers it to Jesus whose death is in the past and it is absolutely true that death will never, ever reach you again. Your future just changed. There is not death in your future. In fact, Jesus said in John 11, He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believes in me shall never die. My dad is not dead, and he didn't die. His body died, but dad did not. You see, death is separation from God. In the moment dad, dad died in his body, he was in the presence of God. He didn't die. His death happened at the cross when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That never happened to dad, never will happen to dad, nor will it happen to you if you've come to Christ. You need to understand, folks, that the essence, the essential fear, the essential reason for why fear is in this world isn't in your life anymore. You can't die. You say, well, if I go to Papua New Guinea, I might encounter some uh, disease. I might encounter something, and they might actually kill me. Actually, they can't kill you. It's true. They can kill your body. That isn't you. Amen? <laughs> it looks like you're not sure about it. Uh, you know, I mean, if your children... Listen, folks, we shouldn't fear death. I want to put it this way. No matter how long you live on earth, it's a short life. Well, I want to live 70 years because I want a long life. 70 years, 82 years is a short life. Well, C.T. Studd, well, he, went to, he died around 70. You die. Well, if I give my, life, my kids to missions, they might live a short life. Look, they're going to live a short life no matter how long it is. It's not the length of life 
It's the cause you live for that determines the, the, the consequence, the value of your life. Don't worry about how long it is. It's short. If it's in God's hands, it can't end. You will never die. Don't waste your life trying to preserve an earthly existence. You can't. It will end. But it doesn't have to end in death. It can end in the presence of the Lord. If you will give your life. And the Lord has given us all authority. He said, I have overcome the world. And he really wants you to know that he's alive and well. In Acts chapter 1, he showed up to the disciples and he said he showed them with many infallible proofs. Don't you love that phrase, infallible proofs? You know what he wanted those disciples convinced of? Jesus is alive. Infallible proofs. The life of my father, Gary Gilmore, is an infallible proof that Jesus is alive. Who changed that life? Who gave that life purpose? Who gave that life out of brokenness to wholeness? What happened? That's Jesus. Jesus is alive and well, my friends. That's the first reason. Now, for the sake of time, let me just mention the, the, the next couple here. Notice here. He came, and the second time he said it, look what he said, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now look at this. Here's a second reason why we can be at peace. Peace comes when we know Jesus is alive and well, but here's a second one. Peace comes when we realize Jesus has a mission for us. Do you know where peace comes from for a believer? Living on mission for Jesus. You say, well, I'm really afraid. If I really got doing God's work, then I think I'd get more tack. I'd probably be in more danger. If I really surrendered, I wouldn't have much peace. Do you know that the opposite is true? You stay back and you try, to, you try to make your own life secure. You try to get your own existence. And you know God wants you out here and you're just trying to get your financial portfolio together. You're afraid to go out you know, witnessing to your friends and neighbors and you're just hunkering down. I know Satan, do you know that you aren't escaping your fears? You're actually being enslaved by them. If you surrender to the purpose that God has for you, you will find a security and a confidence that's unshakable. I take missions trips to Uganda and Ghana and Cameroon and Papua New Guinea and India and so forth. Do you know when I'm on those trips, I know like in a better way than I normally could that everything in my life is working together for good? Do you know that I have a peace that is unusual on those trips? Why? Because I'm on mission. And I know it. Now, we can all live that way wherever God has us, but sometimes we forsake the mission. God has a mission for every believer. Uh, in Acts chapter 5 and 8, we see the persecution that came, but every believer was on track. You say, well, my pastor's got a mission. My missionary's got a mission. Do you know that the mission is in the hands of every believer? Every believer was scattered abroad preaching the word in Acts chapter 8. There was a fear factor in Acts 8, the disciples, the apostles stayed home, and the church was scattered. And they were scattered abroad, and they went everywhere silent. 
They were so afraid, they left Jerusalem and said, man, I'm going to show up in some other community and I'm not going to let them know I'm a Christian because that's what I got brutally beat for in Jerusalem. I'm going to just stay shut. I'm going to be a secret believer. I'm going to hide over here in the hills of Samaria. Is that the way they did it? It says the scattered believers persecuted went everywhere doing what? <laughs> Proclaiming. Christ arose just a few months ago, just a few years ago. It happened. I know you heard about it. He's alive. He won. You need him. Amen? Amen. You know, in the big scheme of things, if a day with the Lord, if a thousand years is with a day, and we are 2,000 years from Pentecost, it's not much different than it happened two days ago. Do you know that that power that was unleashed on Pentecost Day is right with us today? It hasn't diminished. We have a mission, and we have the power and the authority for that mission. And if we don't understand the battle with fear and overcome it with the peace of the Lord, we're going to live off mission. I, um, there's a friend of mine, or an acquaintance of mine, who was in Morocco with his entire family, and they faced fear factors there. And one day, they were stunned when pictures of their family appeared on a terrorist website. So you're in Morocco, you're there preaching the gospel, and on a terrorist website, Islamic, Islamic radical website, they post pictures of your family. We know who you are, and you're here. How would you respond to that? And this man shared, he said, there's two things I do to battle the temptation to fear. He says, two things. He said, when I face the fear factor, he says, there's two things I do. One, I get on my knees and I spend some time in prayer. And he says, number two, I get on my feet and I go out and I share the gospel. He said, Prayer and not being intimidated from being a witness and sharing the gospel that completely removes the spirit of fear. Amen? What a perfect solution. And my friends, when we as believers determine I am going to be a mouthpiece for the Lord in the face of persecution, I'm going to be scattered everywhere. I'm not a missionary sent everywhere. I'm a missionary sent across town. I'm a witness sent across town. And I am going to be opening my mouth, speaking the Lord's, the gospel, and I want to tell you, you will get victory over the spirit of fear through prayer and fervent witness. The third reason here we find in this passage, Thomas, now in verse 24, for some reason he's not with the other disciples. And he, they, he rejects the report. And after eight days down in 26, the Lord appears, um, Think about that. For eight days, the other disciples were rejoicing. Thomas was still in his fear. And I love just the way the Lord shows up with Thomas. Thomas is there, and what does Jesus say to Thomas? Peace be unto you. Second time, third time. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, reach hither your finger. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand. Thrust it into my side. Don't be faithless. Be believing. Aren't you so glad that Jesus, in his love for Thomas, gives him the evidence he wanted? You know, sometimes that's where we're at. God, ah, I just can't, I need something to pull me through. 
show me something. And he does. And, uh, and that's exactly what God did for Thomas. He loved him. Um, and, and, and his gentleness comes through in his, in his uh, relationship with Thomas. But then look what the Lord says. Verse 28, Thomas is convinced. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, yet have what? Believed. Here's the third reason for peace. Peace comes when we know Jesus is alive and well. Secondly, peace comes when we're on mission for Jesus. But here's the third reason. Peace comes when we surrender our doubts and we are willing to live by faith. Do you know sight will never answer all the questions your walk with God will bring? Won't happen. Sight. If you live by sight, you're going to live in a question zone. You are going to have uncertainty cropping at you from every angle. You, you will not have all the answers you want. Never. But if you live by faith, you will always have the answer you need. He said, those who have never seen and believe are actually the steady faithful ones. You found a foundation that is unshakable. God will give us many infallible proofs, but my friend, the greatest proof is right here. We've got a mission to go to the ends of the earth. He's promised to be with us. He said, there, in the uttermost parts of the earth, I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to Papua New Guinea. You know what the confidence that I have about that trip? It's not the questions all being answered. I don't know what trials await us. Do you know the confidence I have is God's given a promise from his word. Amen? And I'm telling you, the promise is there. And I don't know how many times my mind runs back to that promise. Oh, man, there's another one. Man, that one doesn't understand. That person, man, that, there's the difficulty. Oh, I can't answer that question. Oh, it's all overwhelming. On the human scale, there's so much. But do you know there is a rock in my soul? Psalm 139 and 10 that I shared with you. And I run back to that verse and I say, God, you said something. I don't have it, but you got my right hand. It changes. It, it's a world of difference. You can't combat a promise from God. How do you respond when you hear reports of God on the move? Do you believe? Thomas said, oh, he's alive. No, I don't think he is. I've shared some good news stories, right? God at work. How do you respond to that? Uh, really? Do you expect bad reports or good reports in the work of God? Oh, that missionary took a hit, of course. Well, pray for this guy. He's going, oh, oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. That's what he signed up for. Do you just expect bad reports? Or do you expect good reports? How's your faith? Is God at work or isn't he? Do we have a commission or don't we? Are we a church seated at the right hand on the throne with Christ over all the works of the enemy? Isn't it true nothing can separate us from the love of God? Is that reality? 
Do you rejoice in good reports? Are you, is your heart open to them? You know, one reason why our children don't surrender to missions is because they're surrounded by a generation that doesn't expect good reports. Do we expect missions to go forward? Or are we just holding on to the end? Are we believing? Don't be faithless, but believing. Be at peace. Jesus is alive and well. We have a mission that is the cause for why we're here. And we can live by faith. Unshakable confidence in the promises of God. Let's see. Can I play this for you? This is from Papua New Guinea. Listen carefully. Just a short clip. Nokian's house. Now, Nokian is one of the oldest men in the village. He's considered to be the father of us all. And he started to ask me some very difficult questions. And he said to me, Marilyn, look at me. I'm an old man and my skin is wrinkled. My eyes are poor and my fingers have arthritis. I've been watching you as you walk through the village with your banana leaf, carving my talk. My father and many of my relatives died many years ago. They knew nothing about God, and for me, it's too late. I'm too old to learn to read my own talk. And he asked me, he said, did you know a long time ago when you were a little girl that there were people here in Papua New Guinea like myself? Did you know that? And I said, yes, I, I've read books. I knew about Papua New Guinea. And then he said to me, he said, well, Marilyn, why did it take you so long to come? I was so broken, and so inwardly I cried out, Lord, Lord, don't let others wait like this man has waited. Hmm. They're waiting. Some are still waiting. Shouldn't we go? We should. We should. Let's bow our heads, Pastor Wesco.